this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 162, and we are recording on September 29th. I'm Jen Northington, here with Sharifa Williams, and today we are talking about our favorite reads from the last quarter. Sharifa, I have a confession. What is it? There were so many good books that came out in the last few months, and I barely made a scratch in the TBR list. I genuinely don't know what happened. I had, like, the biggest plans to, like, read. And I thought I was. Like, I literally, like, I took them on vacation with me. But I'm like, what? I didn't read hardly any. I mean, I read some really good books. I just did. I barely made a scratch in my stack. So I have regrets. (laughs) I am right there with you. I realized that this episode was coming up. And I was like, what have I been reading? <laughs> I had right. such a great first few yes. months, like first half of the year in reading. Yes. And then suddenly it was just like, I don't know what happened. So I'm right there with you. I was literally like reading for this up to the nth hour. <laughs> so. I'm not finished with one of my picks, but I feel fine about that. Yeah, um, that's totally cool. <laughs> we do our I, best here. We try. I really, truly, like, it's like some time demon ate, you know, the last three months of my attention span, and yeah. I don't know what happened in there. Like, I swear I was reading, but I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, that's our story, but we read some good books this past quarter, we so we're going to tell you about them. There's so many good ones to pick from, y'all. Like, you can't go wrong, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into our news and then some of our picks, we want to remind you that autumn is here, which means it's time to curl up with a great read and get cozy, whatever your version of cozy looks like. So here, you know, it's cozy science fiction and fantasy maybe you like creepy reads like a certain co-host of mine <laughs> maybe you want escapism and tbr can help you find the perfect books for your fall reading it is our subscription program you can get books in the mail or you can get book recommendations over email visit mytbr.co to find out more and sign up it only takes a few minutes that is mytbr.co let's hear from a sponsor and then we'll do news Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. From the best-selling author of The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle comes a new mystery. A fog has swept the planet, killing anyone it touched except for the island where villagers and scientists live in harmony. The villagers content to do what they're told by the scientists. But then one of the beloved scientists is found brutally stabbed to death, and they realize the security system around the island has malfunctioned and has wiped everyone's memories of exactly what happened the night before. 
So someone on the island is a murderer and they don't even know it. Best-selling author Stuart Turton is a major voice in the mystery space, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, and his second novel, The Devil and the Dark Water, have sold over 450,000 copies and become a TikTok phenomenon. He's received fantastic reviews from best-selling authors in major outlets. Make sure to check out his latest work, The Last Murder at the End of the World. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Bolitar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth. But the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's talk about some news. Oh, I had two quick ones that yeah. I'm going to combine into one. Um, it is still award season, y'all. <laughs> And I spotted two, uh, thanks to Locust Magazine, that I wanted to call to your attention because I forever believe that, I mean, awards are subjective, right? Like, let's all agree that, like, you know, there's no such thing as objectively the best. Um, however, what's great about awards list is that they can draw your attention to books that you might have otherwise missed that some people are really enjoying and recommending. So the two awards lists uh, that I wanted to point y'all at this morning were the 2023 Elgin Award winners, which are administered by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Poetry Association. And we've done some really delightful episodes around speculative poetry. Uh, It exists, y'all, and it's great. So there's a whole bunch of fantastic uh, full-length books and chapbooks uh, for you to, you know, peruse. And I don't know any of these. Well, Jane Yolen, obviously I know who Jane yeah. Yolen is. But like, <laughs> I don't recognize any of these other names. Um, And I really have enjoyed the speculative poetry episodes that we've done. So I'm trying to like figure out how to work it more into my life. And this is a good way to do that. So again, Locus Mag has the winner list. Um, It's linked in the show notes. Highly recommend. Yeah, I was kind of pleasantly surprised by how much interest there was from listeners in the poetry episode. So I would absolutely be up for doing another episode about that. And that's my way of saying this is how I catch up on things I don't often read. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, really cool list. Yeah. And then the other prize that I had never heard of before, so this one was new to me, um, but I think Mm -hmm. it's been around for a minute, is the Bard Fiction Prize, 
which goes to a speculative debut novel, like Hello Wheelhouse, like speculative <laughs> debut, like yes, please. Um, and the prize gives you a semester-long residency at Bard College. Uh, and so that's like residencies are amazing for writers, right? Like it's just yeah. incredible. Um, and so Zayn Khalid is the winner. Um, and his novel is Brother Alive, which was published from Grove Atlantic. And that also was not on my radar. So again, awards list, super useful for finding new people that you want to follow. Um, shout out to uh, Khalid uh, for the win. That's always so exciting to see a new debut author getting some accolades and some support. Yes, I agree. I love a good debut novel too. So I had I had not heard of this book. I feel like if I saw every time somebody shows me a cover, I'm like, yes, I have seen this book around. <laughs> but the title does not immediately uh, sound familiar, Brother Alive. But I'm um, sending all my congratulations to this author and I'll check out that book. Yeah. Uh, okay, well... My first one is a bit of a head, it's a head scratcher in that this is like, so I'm not even going to give a bunch of, um, you know, uh, context before I actually get into the story, but a the AV club has reported on this story about how Alan Moore, who's the Watchmen creator, is now sending his adaptation money to Black Lives Matter. This is reported on by Mary-Kate Carr. And Alan Moore is such an unusual... Mm -hmm. Like, the minute I saw his name in a headline, I was like, well, this isn't going to be an uninteresting story. Because <laughs> he's such, like, a an eccentric figure, especially among comic book writers mm -hmm. i think like such a a strange character but so the whole thing and i think i knew some of this before but not maybe the full story he does not appreciate adaptations <laughs> of his comic book work like at all and basically in this story they say he wishes he'd never even written any comic books and so he's decided that because he really was not happy with the adaptations, he didn't feel like, um, you know, they stuck with, they stood by what I, he assumed were their original principles is what it says in the quote here. I, I think just to clarify, he's talking about DC. Currently. Yes, DC. Yes. Like he's saying like, Whatever happened with my adaptations, like the road that they have taken at this point is not one I want to be associated with is what oh, I understood. Yes. That's yeah. a good that's that's good context. Uh, but yeah, so he's not happy with it. So now he has decided to send all of his money from any future TV series or films from DC Comics to Black Lives Matter, which, I mean, I have no problem with that, obviously. <laughs> like, send them money. Yes, please. But I just thought that this was an interesting story uh, amidst a pretty slow science fiction and fantasy newsweek, to be fair. But I am 
always fascinated by people who take a very, you know, who obviously have very strong principles mm. and are not here for even the financial <laughs> profits of things that they do not believe in that are attached to them. So mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. I'm not like trying to give anybody cookies or anything like that. No, yeah. Just a, just a strange story. <laughs> He's fascinating. Yeah. I just don't even like have the words to describe like you're he is an unusual human in the extreme. Um, and I'm like sort of I'm delighted by it because it's as you said, it's always really interesting and not in like a gross way. Like, you know, there's some people who are just like train wrecks and you're like, yeah, you have schadenfreude or like you're like, well, it's hard not to look. Um, but he's not a train wreck. He's just strange. In a really fascinating way, uh, at least as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah. And this is like in line with that. Like he's like, yeah, I wish I never wrote comics, which makes me sad, to be perfectly honest, because Watchmen was pivotal for me early on in my comics, you know, um, yeah. uh, like readership. And I haven't revisited it in a minute, but it meant a lot to me at a certain point in time. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, V for Vendetta, too. Um, back in the day. So, you know, it's just interesting um, to see a creator like look back and be like, yeah, wish I'd never gotten involved with comics. Please don't. I don't want any of this money. Like send it to and I'm that he's sending it to Black Lives Matter is amazing. Um, it's just interesting. And there was yeah. a whole thing that I can't even begin to get into on here. This is why I didn't <laughs> put it on the agenda. But I feel like we have to mention it so people know we're aware. Bill Willingham tried to like do a thing with fables that like was like copyright suspect and then like Ooh. it all turned into this wacky copyright infringement situation and it was like a big sort of grandstandy thing that did not go as planned and I just like can't, I can't even begin to like talk about that except for to say like yeah I'm aware um, so it looks like there's this moment in comics where some of the creators who've been around for a hot minute are just like yeah not like down with the up. whole situation anymore and like trying to figure out what that means for them in their current moments um who because they have like left comics right like alan moore mm -hmm. isn't writing comics anymore uh so you know it's just interesting it's fascinating to watch so yes agree yeah yeah that's a that's a really great point about the comic book writers who have been around and are seeing the industry change in some really fraught ways so yeah um but yeah, a, a very eccentric, artistic, and seemingly just wants to be left alone type. <laughs> I respect that hugely. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. This will, this, I will definitely be some part of this when I am older. <laughs> just leave <laughs> me right. alone in my just cottage. Like, <laughs> just let me be a druid with a beard. Yeah. Like, just let me, let me do my thing. Um, no doubt. May, may we all get that opportunity. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, our next piece, I just really enjoyed this uh, guest piece by Hannah Kaner on LitHub um, about making formulas fresh again. And Kaner is the author of God Killer, which is one of the books that came out and was like highly lauded and was on my list. And then I didn't get to it. Um, but I just really appreciate this look at what it means to 
reinvent tropes because trope reinventions are like my favorite. Like that's my jam. Like seeing somebody take a very standard trope, which we're going to come up against later in the show because it's one of the things that's going on in one of my picks. Um, seeing somebody take a pretty like known trope and then like play with it and get in there mm -hmm. and twist it up. I mean, this is why I do retellings anthologies, right? Like this is my jam. This is yes. it. This is what I love. Um, and, you know, Kaner loves it, too, and had some really thoughtful looks at different tropes and the way that um, other writers who are not the usual suspects from, like, you know, the old school, like, Joseph Campbell Heroes Quest sort of vibes, how they're playing with these tropes. So, um, you know, Becky Chambers is in here for messing with the quest trope, with I, which I thought was a genius point. Um, there's a great uh, magical boarding school shout out to uh, Chikadili and Malamudu. Um, apologies if I messed that up, uh, who's dazzling I had not heard of. So now yeah. I definitely have to read that. Like, yes. that's what I want. Um, and then, you know, Tasha Suri's in here. I mean, it's just great. Uh, so I just loved this piece. I thought it was really thoughtful and um, spoke spoke to my interests. So I wanted to share it. Yeah, I my eye immediately fell on dazzling. I was like, yes. how have I not read this right? book yet? Like, magical boarding school, but it's this is a book that is not necessarily written for children like it sounds like there's some real dark stuff in there i want mm -hmm. it i want it now I want it. <laughs> yep so that's great enjoy getting your reading list blown up by yep <laughs> by <Kater. laughs> well my last story comes on the tail end of well the writer's strike has mm -hmm. ended um but the the sag strike is still on mm -hmm. so i want to point that out as i get into this story about goosebumps um the adaptation and this is reported on over at tour.com by molly templeton so they shared a first trailer for this uh series and it's a Disney Goosebumps adaptation. I consumed so many Goosebumps <laughs> books. Of course you did. <laughs> I was just like nonstop. I'm pretty sure like I missed doing homework because I was too busy reading Goosebumps books. So I have like mixed feelings about Goosebumps adaptations because I... I didn't know. One, when I read them as a kid, I found them actually scary, delightfully scary. Mm. But now I'm like, I don't know if I want to ruin it for myself and like revisit these stories and feel like, oh, it's kind of like not that scary, mm. especially knowing it's a Disney adaptation. I'm sure they are capable of doing some scary stuff, but... But so this one, the series, is ad actually adapted from five of the Goosebumps novels, three of which I am certain I read. Say Cheese and <laughs> I definitely read that. The Haunted Mask, I cannot remember. The Cuckoo Clock of Doom, I don't know. Go Eat Worms, definitely. And Night of the Living Dummy, absolutely. I feel like that's a, a classic among the Goosebumps books. Mm. So I... I mean, I enjoyed the trailer, 
I did, but I have also enjoyed some of these adaptations, like the trailers for the adaptations of beloved children's or young mm -hmm. readers' horror novels, and then started to watch the adaptations and was like, yeah, maybe I'm too, like, I, maybe I've grown past this and it's for a different generation, which is fine. Um, but I feel like I have to give it another try. It does seem like fun and scary enough for the season. Um, and I believe that there's, there's really only one actor in this series that I recognize. They are all very young people, as you mm. might imagine. Um, and then I was like... Oh, there's like this auto-tune soundtrack. Like it feels very much not not made for me, but <laughs> but I still, you know, I can't help but want to revisit that nostalgic horror series mm. by R.L. Stein. I don't know. Yeah. I was not a Goosebumps or Fear Street kid. Um no? I'm sure you're all shocked to hear yeah. that. <laughs> Just shocked. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't. Um, but I will say I got to do an event for R.L. Stein when I was a bookseller and he was a delight at the event. So that's so nice. That was cool. And like seeing the range of people at that event from like, you know, grown folks who grew up on that stuff to this new generation who are like delighted by Stein's work was super mm -hmm. fun. Um, I will say I don't I had like a moment of real cognitive dissonance because I was looking at this story and it says like five students played by Zach Morris and then a bunch of other names. And I was like, is Zach Morris a little old to be playing a teenager at this point? And then I was like, wait, Zach Morris is the name of a character from Saved by the Bell who was played by Mark Paul Gosseler. Zach that Morris must be this actor's name. Like, I'm sorry, actor, that you are <laughs> saddled with these all these olds who are probably like, oh, have you been saved by the bell lately? Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I am that old. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his parents might be millennials who did I that wonder, on purpose. Who names their child Zach Morris? Like, questions. Is... I have so many questions. I have many questions. I cannot believe I didn't clock that. I 100% would have made the same mistake. Uh, but that's my only thought on this. I have, I have no thoughts. That's all. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll see uh, how it all goes. I guess it premieres, oh, of course, on October 13th, of Friday. Course. Friday the 13th on Disney Plus and Hulu. And they're doing that thing where... They give you five episodes immediately, and then it's it's back to weekly. So we'll mm. see if I stick it out past one episode. I will report mm. back. Okay. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that is actually it for our news stories. We're going to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to talk about our favorite books of the quarter. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story. So in Just Some Stupid Love Story by Caitlin Doyle, Molly and Seth were best friends turned lovers until Molly ghosted Seth on the eve of their high school graduation, which is very trifling, I might add. 
So now they've reunited again at their high school reunion 15 years later, and they make a bet. Whoever can predict the fate of five couples before the next reunion must declare that the other is right about true love. But what is the catch, you might ask? Well, the catch is that the fifth couple is them. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a callback to the best 90s and early 2000s rom-coms. If you like When Harry Met Sally or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, this will be right up your alley. This is also perfect for fans of romance readers of Emily Henry, Catherine Center and others like that. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Yen Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels. Tragedy unfolds on the first day of spring when a train derails at Nishi Iwakahama Station, changing the course of hundreds of lives. Two months later, a rumor spreads of a ghost with the power to send others back in time, inevitably attracting those who seek a chance to go back to that fateful day. The God of Nishi Yuagahama Station by Takeshi Morase is a moving story about the unpredictability of life. It aims to comfort tired souls and answers the famous question, what would you do if you had a second chance? Told through the eyes of a student, a son, and a bride-to-be, this heart-wrenching novel is a reflection of how grief impacts us and what we must do to pick up the pieces. Don't miss this literary debut full of fabulism and time travel by Japanese writer Takeshi Murase. To learn more, please visit yinpress.com. And thanks again to Yin Press, your favorite publisher of Japanese manga and novels, for sponsoring this episode. All right. So <laughs> we told you about our experience reading this quarter but where did the last two and a half months go like truly where i i literally was like how is it october basically right. like <laughs> what where am i the year is almost <laughs> over no sharifa <sighs> no i know i know uh but i was really delighted that I was forced to cram a couple books <laughs> because they did not disappoint me. And that is always my fear when this happens is that I'm going to have to really quickly read some books that were already on my anticipated list or whatever, but I'm going to find that I do not like them. Mm. And I won't know what to do with myself when we record this episode. But I'm so happy to say that Silver Nitrate by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia was written for me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and perfect for this season as we do approach Halloween and whatnot, even though, of course, horror is a year-round season for me. <laughs> but this time, Moreno-Garcia is taking us to the movies and in Silver Nitrate, the main characters and POVs are Montserrat and Tristan, who are these two childhood friends. They're now fully grown. Um, I can't remember if they're in their, th I think they're in their 30s, approaching their 40s. So they're like full adults. And they're both employed in the film industry. Montserrat is a sound editor and Tristan is an actor 
And the setting is 90s Mexico City, uh, which I'm always happy to revisit through Moreno Garcia and hopefully one day we'll visit myself. But uh, in the story, Montserrat and Tristan are dealing with some, let's say, career roadblocks. So this is not the 90s, of course, and it doesn't even matter because this still happens today. Mm. But Montserrat is dealing with discrimination and all the machismo and misogyny and the boys club that is sound editing there are not a lot of women in her field so she gets treated a certain way badly and she's really unhappy about her circumstances she's worried about money and a lot of other things and then with Tristan, there are these circumstances around the death of his then-girlfriend early in his career that ended up scandalizing him and sending his whole career off the rails. So now he's doing, like, voice acting work and things like that. But he's really aware of, like, being a sort of washed-up actor. And they're both feeling their struggles when they meet this bygone cult horror director and Abel is this character who you know doesn't often meet people who know his work so of course he is eager to share his stories he lives alone he really doesn't seem to know a lot of people so um, having people like Montserrat and Tristan show interest is like you know opens up the door to him like sharing his whole history and Montserrat and Tristan are lifelong cult horror fans. They're really eager to hear his stories as well. But then one of them, one of these little tales he tells in particular piques their interest and leads Abel to ask a favor of them. He basically wants to bring an old unfinished film one that has this really strange history and even stranger individuals attached to it back to life through the dubbing process, which of course Montserrat is poised to help out with. But then the two of them really truly do not know what they're getting into and they agree to this um, request and end up finding themselves facing dark forces that are like tied to Nazism and then a cult and blood magic. So lots of bad things coming out of this seemingly innocent project that they decided to take on for one of their, you know, heroes. And I will say that if Moreno Garcia isn't a fan of cult horror herself, that'd fool me because the story <laughs> itself had like so many of the hallmarks of those movies. Um, I think if you've even watched a few of them, you'll recognize some of the ways the scenes are set up and, and things like that. And some of the tropes she uses that will, that are very reminiscent of cult horror. So it's kind of meta in that way, I guess. And there's this great buildup of suspense through the story and just like generally quality content for the film nerds, like lots of trivia I did not know because I know nothing about sound editing. Why would I? Mm. Um, so super interesting for those reasons as well. 
And then Montserrat and Tristan have one of those opposites attract friendships. So there's all sorts of things going on there. And I really just love their relationship because Montserrat is this sort of talented, no-nonsense, fearless metalhead who has like <laughs> a knack for ghosting relationships. Like both of them are awful in relationships. Like Tristan <laughs> is a commitment like he does not do commitment and he's messy and self-absorbed and cowardly, but he's also loyal. So there's that. Um, and I just really enjoyed the chemistry between them and, you know, the different uh, POVs they brought to the story. And I just think it's a great read for this season. So again, that was Silver Nitrate by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Oh, and this story also has some content warnings I should not forget to mention. Um, of course, it takes on some really, because this is a Silvia Moreno Garcia story, it takes on some um, big concepts and issues. Uh, definitely racism and colorism. There is uh, Nazism in this story, addiction, and mention of suicide. So do note that. I was waiting for somebody else to read that one and tell me if I could read it or not. <laughs> you know, I think I will say that there's not like a lot of gore or anything. Okay. It's mostly like thriller and mm. creepy scenes with supernatural elements. So mm. I... I think borderline. Yeah, it's borderline. But I think you could be okay. Just don't read it at night, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Moreno Garcia is one of those authors who, obviously, I've read a ton of her books, but I also have to be really careful with her horror because, like, sometimes it's too much for me. So, anyway, that's good to know. Maybe I'll try a little bit and see how we do. Yes. Uh, All right. So my pick is very seasonally appropriate, which you know is why they released it on this timing, like 100%. Um, It is a short story collection. It is The Book of Witches, an anthology edited by Jonathan Strahan, who is like, you know, the dude. Um, It's also illustrated by Alyssa Winans. And this is the first hardcover short story anthology with illustrations that I feel like I have experienced in a hot minute like I it's very unusual first of all to get an anthology in hardcover um it's also very unusual to get an anthology that's been illustrated and and this anthology also includes poetry as well as stories so like mm. and it's 29 stories and poems that is so many y'all that is the most oh my goodness. a ton just a ton um and it is the lineup is like i like can't even i mean i just you know p jelly clark is in here amal almatar is in here andrew hairston alaya don johnson fonda lee darcy little badger like ken Liu, preemie muhammad i mean you just it just goes on it's wow. renee thomas like it just goes on and on Taddy thompson i mean there's so many of our favorite writers who are in here and names i don't know which is also what i want right like i i love tochi Anyubuchi. i can't wait to read his witch story actually already it was it was great so I'm surprising no one. His witch story was great. Um, but I'm also excited to read some of these authors who I have not yet read. 
And uh, it is really solid. I mean, I every story has a completely different vibe, which is what I want. And um, they just, I mean, they take place in all, like, some worlds have fantasy and science fiction. Some have just one or the other. Some are like, is anything, wait, is this supernatural? Or is this not supernatural? Like, there's a meta text one. There's, you know, portal worlds. Like, there's just everything you could possibly want is in here. And it's from the introduction, it sounds like Strahan really tried to make this as um, inclusive and broad-ranging as possible, which is also what everybody should be doing. So I, yeah, and I love the cover. If you haven't seen the cover, I mean, I can only assume it's also by Alyssa Winans, because, like, why would it not be? But maybe it's not. I don't know. I couldn't find. I couldn't find it. Of but course. um but it's a beautiful cover. The illustrations are fantastic. And I I have not finished it yet. I'm a little bit doling it out like a little bit here, a little bit there to make it last. I'm probably going to I got it from the library, but I'm probably going to need to own it. It's going to go on my anthology shelf. Uh so yeah, I like strong strong recommend from me on this anthology. It's uh it's a great it's an amazing contributor list, and I like a whole book of twenty nine different things about witches, like sold, sold. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, because mm-hmm. I need this book. I'm literally looking it up on my phone right now. <laughs> you do. You need it, right? <laughs> Truly, though, like I, for those of you who prefer audio and digital, like totally fine. But like, get yourself to the library to look at some of these illustrations. Oh, They're yeah. gorgeous. So that's so that's such a great find. And it's totally fair to not be done with a short story. Yeah, right. I feel like that's totally legit. So it's just, you know, read it at your leisure. That's what they're for. Mm hmm. Well, my next one is one I feel like I've talked a lot about without actually having read. But I finally (laughs) I finally did read The Deep Sky by Yumi Katasi. Yes. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think I just really enjoy space mysteries. Mm -hmm. Like, every time I read one, I'm like, yes, I want to read more of these. So, absolutely, this is a whodunit set in space. And it did not disappoint And the basic premise, the mystery, surrounds this explosion that takes place when um, Asuka and another member of the crew go out on a spacewalk to look into this mystery object that's appeared on the ship, which is something, you know, you never want to deal with a mystery (laughs) object when you're out in space. Mm-hmm. on a very long mission and so um they go out and they check it out and this explosion happens and people are like where did that come from why did that happen who did this to us and um the whole course of the book takes place from there we go back and forth in time from them the crew being on the ship to Uh, the past when they were all going to the same school together to actually get selected for this mission. And the interesting thing about this crew is that it's composed entirely of people who can give birth. So B-12 
being able to help populate this new planet was one of the requirements to entry. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about this briefly, but they do include trans and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad the book did leave it at like, oh, only cis women can Mm -hmm. have babies and blah, blah, blah. Um, It did not do that. Um, But then because of this, fact a lot of the crew is like fully pregnant while navigating this intense and dangerous situation and um i don't often come across that in stories so that part of it was fascinating and of course you can't have a spaceship story without ai and in this case they have this sort of maternal AI figure whose main function is to protect the crew members and the ship um, and sort of got on my nerves through a lot of the book <laughs> to be quite honest I was like I would not want this AI in my ear I'm sorry I know they say it's comforting but I'm like annoyed um, <laughs> but there's all sorts of like really interesting tech they use because this takes place in like the future and you know, the countries are all, you know, at war and there's a lot of dysfunction happening back on Earth. But there's a lot of really interesting tech advancements also. Uh, And speaking of like annoying AI, this is one of those books that just has a lot of flawed characters, purposefully, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think anyone didn't annoy or frustrate me at some point (laughs) in the book, but it was not like oh my gosh, I can't read this story because these characters are irritating. It was more like, oh my gosh, these are human beings doing things that are making me really irritated and making terrible decisions and like, you know, that sort of thing, which makes for really interesting, compelling characters also. And Asuka is one of those characters who has like, She kind of has a chip on her shoulder. She has big imposter syndrome is the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, As one of the select members crewing the spaceship on a mission to start up a civilization on a distant planet. And again, the crew grew up together. They competed against each other at this really rigorous academy that was designed specifically to select the right people for the mission since the start of their teens. And there's all sorts of fraught stuff about selection stuff in the process. Uh, But Asuka, who's biracial and straddles two countries, has always sort of felt like the odd one out, never quite Japanese enough or American enough. She's also been grieving the loss of a family member, and she has a really strained, to say the least, relationship (laughs) with her mom. Um, there's a lot going on there and she has some old beef with some of the crew that she's working through while investigating this possible traitor in their midst and tripping up on her insecurities about not being good enough. So it's like this whole mess and an emotionally charged thrill ride that was, you know, it sets you up to like try to figure out and suspect all sorts of people on the ship, which I think is always fun and interesting um, and a little brain exercise. But mm. I really, I really enjoyed this read. Um, and I cannot tell if it's a standalone. It seems like it might be, but who knows? 
Um, I think it was but, a debut. Yeah, it is a debut. And I, I, it didn't seem like it said that it was part of a series. Right, so. Right. so we'll see. But I, I really enjoyed it. This one also has lots of content warnings. Um, there is maternal harm and death. There's child harm and death, infertility, racism, miscarriage. So um, note that as well. And again, that was The Deep Sky by Yumi Katasi. Yeah, pregnancy trigger warnings are a thing for you. Like, do not read this. Book. Huge just, here. Just please don't do that yeah. to yourself. Um, I would have picked this if you hadn't picked it. So I'm so glad. Oops, sorry. I no, it's good because then I got to pick something else. Um, but yes, this was one of the books from the quarter I did read. I loved. Loved, yeah, loved, loved. So it was like everything I wanted it to be when I picked it up. And some things I wasn't expecting. I really, the tangly mom-daughter stuff in particular, yeah. I was not like prepared for and in the good way. Like I was like, oh, okay, we're going there. All right. Like, <laughs> um, like I have like chills just thinking about it. Uh, so it was really, I yeah, I loved this book uh, start to finish. Definitely a favorite of the year for me too. Yeah. All right, so my next pick is, speaking of tropes being reinvented, it's my sci-fi pick. It's Where Peace is Lost by Valerie Valdez, who, you know, we know and love here at SFF, yeah, um, and who we got to work with for Fit for the Gods. Uh, so, you know, shout outs all over the place. This is fun. So this is not part of the series um, that she has been writing, the Chilling Effect series. This is a brand new potentially standalone i attended an author talk and she said that she has like a world bible for this one but nobody may ever read any other set in this universe and i was like oh, that wow. is unacceptable oh <laughs> unacceptable how dare because uh, <laughs> i would read like 15 more books set in this universe um but you know i'm not in charge so who knows what will happen <laughs> but this what i want to like how i want to position this book in your brains is like take like Star Wars on one side and Becky Chambers on the other and then like meet somewhere in the middle Ooh. that is the vibe of where peace is lost it takes place in this you know space world where there is like is it magic is it not magic is it science like who knows who cares people sometimes can have like special powers um there's also a lot of like robots and you know galactic empires and all of this jazz um and we are on this, you know, like, isolated jungle planet, like, strong, you know, swamp vibes. Um, so, you know, Star Wars, hello. Uh, and Kel is is sort of a, you know, Valerie described it this way as an Obi-Wan figure. Like, in hiding, a refugee, like, a living near a community but not fully integrated in that community. Um, she was part of an order who were as were part of this big war um, against uh, the expansion of this one empire and as part of a tre peace treaty in order for that uh, organization's like charitable arm to continue, the military arm was disbanded. Um, and so she has basically been trying to stay off the grid since then. And she just really is at a loss. She does not know what to do with herself. It's been five years. She's like making it work barely, but it just like doesn't, is, is just stuck. Doesn't know what to do with herself and is constantly afraid of like 
blowing up the treaty, of being discovered, putting other people in danger, like really rough. Um, and then it doesn't matter. It comes trouble comes looking for her because this war machine from the war suddenly like turns up and is reactivated and it's destroying the habitat for this megafauna that live on the planet. And this is one of the things I love about this book is that it's so interested in like ecology and ecosystems like this planet that Kel lives on is like super environmentally savvy and like dedicated to preserving it. They live in harmony with nature in these like very specific ways. Um, So hello, like Becky Chambers, right? Like we got yes. some of that going on. Uh, and and yeah, and so that's like a huge concern for everybody, which was so refreshing, honestly, that the plot is like, oh, no, this war machine will destroy a species' habitat and we have to save it. Like, when do you see that ever? Like, literally never. I've literally never seen that as the plot of a sci-fi space opera book before. So talk about reinventing tropes, like 100% on this ride. Um, and there are so many cinnamon roll characters, let me tell you. Like, I just can't even get started. I loved all of them. They are the found family that I wanted. Ugh. Like, in the way that, like, the deep sky is great because everybody annoys you. Like, yeah. where peace is lost is great because nobody annoys you. <laughs> You're just like, I love you all. You're all my space babies. Um, and they have, they all have complicated backstories. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. They can be complicated people and I can still love them. Um and so, yeah, so this band of unlikely, you know, traveling companions with all kinds of secrets gets together to try to protect uh, the habitat and figure out what happens next. And there's great action sequences and there's a like there's a romance and there's, you know, it's very inclusive. It's it's really just a page turner and a delight. Um, so this book, you know. If you want to see that kind of reinvention of tropes, especially around space opera, which is so often so tech focused or like the nature is there, but it's not a main uh, it's not of main import, then this is the book to pick up. Like, it's so smart what Valdez has done here. And I really enjoyed the bejesus out of it. And there's like a little section of, you know, the order that Kel is from has this like prayer sort of or mantra. Mantra is probably the right word. Um, and I am 100% cross-stitching it when I'm done with my current product. Oh. Like, I am cross-stitching it and putting it on my wall. I found it so smart and so, like, thoughtful. So, yeah, the rave raving about Where Peace is Lost by Valerie Valdez. Well, now I have to read it just to find out what this mantra is. But also, it sounds delightful. It's a delight. It's a delight. Uh, so good. So many mm -hmm. good books. I know. And that, again, like, we just barely scratched the surface, y'all. Like, there's so many yeah. good books out right now. Just enjoy. Enjoy. All right. So that's our that's our show for today. Uh, SFFEA is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. So many thanks to her for helping us sound great each and every episode. For even more recommendations of all kinds, head over to bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. You can email us your faves, your pets, your questions and theme ideas at sffya at bookriot.com. Uh, and you can also review us if you would be so kind. You can put it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you can leave a review. Leave a review. It helps other people find the show. 
Uh, and then speaking of finding things, uh, Sharifa, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Blue Sky and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.